Morning, BCC. Um, thank you, Pastor Nick. Um, yeah, it's a, a fantastic pleasure for me to be here with you today and sharing the word. Um, as Pastor Nick said, I'm Luca, and I lead the young adults pastor. Uh, I am the young adults pastor leader. Uh, in fact, is there any B oneer in the house? Come on. So I'll take the chance to tell you, if you're in your 20s and you're new to church, please join us on Wednesday night at 7.30. We, every week, have a smashing time, don't we? It's just great. Uh, we talk about God. We study the Word. We have fun together. We do sports together. It's amazing. Come and join us. Um, so from the moment that Pastor Nick asked me to talk on the fourth episode of this series, Assigned, there's always been this statement that has been resounding in my spirit. And every time I think of the word assigned or the concept of godly assignment, this statement always comes back and comes back. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to give it to you, and uh, the statement is this. It is not just about you. It is not just about you. It's not about us, isn't it? And uh, I know that at first it might sound a, 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 a statement which is a little bit harsh. In fact, I didn't know if giving it to you or not. Uh, but if we dip, dig deep into its meaning, we actually realize that it's rather encouraging than offensive. Because the greatest enemy that comes against the realization, the fulfillment of our assignment is ourself, is our pride, is our ego. And sometimes we can just mess up things, isn't it? Uh, it's so easy. Uh, we come with our flesh and we just mess up stuff. So as soon as we realize that it's not just about us, a massive weight comes off our shoulders and we're ready to go, isn't it? So as I mentioned, even though the assignment is given to you, it is not for your good only. And uh, we've seen in the past weeks, we talked about Moses, how he led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And then we saw Esther, how she protected her people from the Persian king's decree. And how Elijah, uh, Elisha actually took on the prophetic voice from Elijah and also him led the people of God. Today, we're going to talk about David and see how the Lord called him, and uh, how this might apply to our lives. See how he took on the calling of God, and see how he stepped into his destiny. In fact, as we said, um, the Lord calls you for the good of other people, and the Lord calls you to serve him, but minister to his people. You know, in Ephesians it says, it talk, when he talks about the fivefold ministries, it says that they were to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So your gifting is not just for yourself, it's for the body of Christ, isn't it? And this morning I want to take you on a journey to unpack what that looked like in David's life. And we're going to see how, as I said, how that applies to us. When we talk about David, there is so much to be said. Not that David. When we talk about King David, there is so much to be said. Um, he was a shepherd. He was the little annoying brother. He was a singer, a worshiper. He was a musician. He was a warrior. He was a king. And at times, he was also a high priest, wasn't it? So if we would, you know, start saying everything about David, we would start today and, and, and finish in 2023. But I promise we're not going to do that today. <laughs> so when I think of a journey of, of a person that has been assigned from God for a specific thing, for, for a calling or something, I clearly see three stages. And the first one is 
the pre-assignment, or I would call it the preparation time. Um, and now I'm going to tell you a story, and you choose if it's a funny one, you decide if it's a funny one, if it's a sad one, um, or even an embarrassing one. I'll leave that to you, all right? So there was this guy, some years ago, that got into the idea of taking part, of participating to the Ironman competition. Does any of you know what the Ironman competition is? So it's a triathlon sport, which is made by three main um, sport disciplines. And uh, they go, literally, um, they are executed in this order. Um, it starts off with 2.4 miles of swimming, followed by 112 miles of biking. And then, to finish, they go with 26.2 miles of running for a total of 140.6 miles of pure mind and body destruction. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos about the Ironman competition. It's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. There are these people that jump in the water and swim like crazy, and then they come out of the water. They're still wet. They put the shoes on, and they jump on a bike and start riding for so long. As soon as they finish that, they throw the bike on the side, and they start running. It's incredible. It's definitely for fit people, isn't it? <laughs> um, and let, let me just say it straight, okay? Uh, that, that guy is me, all right? Why are you laughing? Is that so weird? <laughs> um, but the idea was that I would get trained, I would work out, and I would participate to the Ironman competition as an amateur. So the first thing I did was subscribing to a sports center which had both um, a gym and uh, a, uh, an Olympic-sized pool. Um, so the first day of workout comes, and the plan is to do some biking and then do some swimming. So I jump on a bike, and I go for it. Like, I pour everything out for two hours. I was so proud of myself. I was really going for it. You know, by, by the end of it, I was dead. I was super tired. But I was so proud. I was hyper. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And as soon as I finish off with the bike, I get changed, and I uh, jump into the pool. But as soon as I touch the water, apparently I left all my energy and strength up on the bike because I couldn't swim. I literally couldn't swim. Now, just to, you know, just to let you know, I come from Sicily. I can swim, okay? That's, I can swim. My mom delivered me into the Mediterranean Sea. So I can swim. I grew up swimming, okay? I, I, I learned swimming before learning to walk. Um, but I was so tired. I just, it, it was incredible. And I remember this lady, um, I think she was 70 plus year old, and she was swimming on the other side of the pool. And she saw me struggling from, the, from far. She shouted, are you all right? I think you should get out of the water now. At that point, I'm telling you, all my dreams got tossed on the ground. I was like, I'm not going to do this. You know, this is, this is terrible. So confession, <laughs> first day of workout, I gave up. <laughs> it was way too much. The issue with that was that my mindset towards my goal was more of a go and do it rather than a grow to do it. Let me say it again. I wanted to go and do it. But instead, I, I should have grown into it and do it. And I want you to ask yourself a question today. If you're listening from, from home, why don't you ask this question to yourself? When you, see, uh, when you think to your assignment, when you think, uh, think to your task, how do you see your attitudes uh, towards it? Is it a go and do it, 
or a grow to do it? Do you want results? Uh, uh, results? Do you want to, to reap the fruit right here, right now, no matter the cost, no matter the outcome? Or are you ready to put yourself in a, a stage, in a season of preparation where the Lord can equip you so that you can be ready to step into your destiny and to embrace what is got in store for you? Grow to do it. And... Um, what the Lord does, we've seen it many times, we've seen it with, with loads of people in the Bible, uh, we've seen it with Moses, we've seen this with many people. The Lord, the Lord actually tends to, you know, give us uh, periods where we are meant to, to grow, where he equips us. And it might be a long season, a shorter season, but he does it with everybody. And interestingly, when we think of David, when we think of, of his life, um, we realize that he was the only king. This is a very interesting fact. This is the, he's the only king in Israel that it doesn't become, doesn't step into his kingship straight away after being anointed as king. For those of you who don't know, uh, it was custom of the people of Israel that the prophet would anoint the new king of Israel. And from that moment on, from the moment of the anointing, the person would step into its kingship and would become king straight away. But with David, it happened slightly different. And by the, the, the scripture, by, by, by reading the, the, the word of God, we do get the sense that there was a long gap between anointing and actually David becoming king. And uh, we see actually uh, one, just one chapter after he's been anointed, uh, when he's, you know, the episode with Goliath, that King Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him as you are but a youth while he's been a warrior from all his youth, from his youth. And the Hebrew word for youth is na'ah. This word, the same word is used later on by Goliath to mock David and say, ah, you're coming to me, you're just a youth. And literally, um, it was used, this, the, the, the word na'ah was used to describe a child of any age of infancy through weaning all the way to late uh, teenage. And then we see the gap. Later on in 2 Samuel, it, we actually find the record of when David became king. And it says like this, David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. So um, the estimates would imply that from the moment that he got anointed, he was a teenager, to when he became king, he was 30. There is a gap of between 10 and 15 years, a time that he had to wait, a time that prob probably he had to grow to be able to do it. He had to grow to be able to become king. And the waiting period is absolutely vital for the outcome of, of the assignment. We need to grow into a, our calling to be able to bear fruit in the right season, isn't it? Psalm 1 says, that person, and a few verses earlier says, who meditates the word. So it's somebody that is studying. It's somebody that is it's putting himself in a place, in a position of learning. It's like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears fruit all the time. It says in season, right? You can't really go strawberry picking in February. Anyone that goes strawberry picking? No? I go to strawberry picking at Asda, but that's not the same thing, I guess. Uh, but if you would go strawberry picking, um, you know, as nature, the, the, the nature would, you know, would, would be, you would go uh, strawberry picking in February. 
uh, sorry, in, in summertime. You couldn't go in February because it's too cold. And you need to allow the fruit to grow, to mature, so that you can pick it when it tastes the best. Of course, you can pick it earlier, but then you'll end up with a, with a strawberry, which is like green, white-ish, that will not taste good. You know, it wouldn't be good for anything at all. Remember, grow to do it. We can learn a lot from the pre-assignment time of David, and these are some of the lessons that I found. So the first one is, it builds experience. David is able to face Goliath, only because he already defeated the lion and the bear. In fact, you can face great challenges and great assignment only if you faced smaller ones earlier. And the Bible says like this, But David said to Saul, Your servant had been keeping his father's sheep when a lion and a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock. I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from, the, from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And now comes the statement, one of the sta- most famous statements of the Bible, and I wish I had like the Avengers soundtrack. David goes... The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. And when I read this Bible verse, I feel like, you know, going into spiritual warfare, you know. It makes me feel like, yes, God is with us. You know, the same God that delivered me from, you know, from, from the lion and the bear will give me the strength to kill the giant. And this is David. This is what he does. He understands that the Lord is with him. Remember, grow to do it. Let me give you a statement, and I hope this stays with you. And the statement is this. The experience that you need to accomplish your assignment in the present comes from your experience of the, uh, of the time of preparation in the past. Let me say it again. The experience you need to accomplish your assignment in the present comes from your time of preparation in the past. You can't go through your destiny, through bigger things, unless you've done a journey before. We cannot do it. We just cannot do it. We need to grow to do it. Another lesson we, we learned from the pre-assignment time of David is obedience. And here there is a story of David with the Amalekites. Some of you would know this story, but, you know, I'm, I'm just going to make it very brief. Uh, mainly here is David with his men. They come back to the town where they live at the moment, which is Tziglag. And they find out that the Amalekites have done a, a raid of the land, and they took away absolutely everything. They took away wives, kids, animals. I don't know if they had any treasure or whatever. They took absolutely everything. And the first thing that David does, he's not king yet, the first thing that David does, he kneels down, he prays, and he asks the Lord, and he says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And the Lord says, pursue them. He answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. I don't know about you, but is this even a question to ask? You get back home and you see that your family's been taken away and you know more or less where, you know, the kidnappers are. What would you do? I would just run after them. Any man in the house? What would you do? (laughs) 
You would just go. And David was a warrior. He could just go and rescue everybody. But he learns. He understands the moment in his life where he finds himself in. And he asks the Lord. He's willing to give up, to give up on, ev- uh, on everything for the sake of being obedient. If this is not character growing, what is? Come on. Another lesson we, we, we learn from uh, the pre-assignment time of David is that he learns respect of authorities and humility. In our society, these are, couple of things are lacking pretty much. We don't have respect for authorities. And unfortunately, sometimes there's lack of humility as well. Uh, but here there is a story. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, from the moment that King Saul understands that David has been anointed as a new king, the only thing that he wants to do, it becomes an obsession. He just wants to kill David. He just wants to go after David, find him, and kill him. Because he's, he obviously he's a threat to his kingdom. And this is what happens. From the day that um, King Saul comes to know that uh, David was anointed as king, David is on the run. He's always moving, you know. And there is this episode where uh, King Saul is after David, and David and his men are actually hiding in a cave. And what happens is it's very peculiar. Um, We've got King Saul stepping into the cave where David and his army uh, are actually hiding. That was the perfect moment, you know, for David to, to end it, you know. It was the perfect moment just to kill Saul and to finish with this madness. And in a sense, it would have, you know, would have been self-defense because Saul was trying to kill him. But this is what David says. He says, the Lord forbid me that I should do such a thing of my, of, to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord, With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Church, we must understand that at this point, David knows that King Saul was rejected and that he was the legitimate king of Israel. This was the time to finish it. This was the best time, you know, for David to take on the throne. And it would have been his right. But he doesn't do it. And the words that he uses really touch me. Because even though now he is the anointed one, he says, I wouldn't, put my, uh, I wouldn't lay my hand on my master, the anointed of the Lord. That's incredible, isn't it? If this is not humility, whoa, the Lord is really working in, in, into David's life. And it's growing to be able to do it. Um, The second point, the second stage that I was telling you about at uh, at the beginning. So the first one was the pre-assignment. The second stage is the actual assignment, the delivery of it. And the first thing that I want to tell you is, once you put your hands on, bring God's presence in the midst of it. Bring God's presence in the midst of it. Any Christians in the house? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) And I know we, we are living in difficult times in some places more than others. And lately, with everything that has been happening in the world, we all know that the price of the fuel has been going up, isn't it? And especially families, if you've got more than one car, uh, people are freaking out, you know, and it's, it's quite of a, an uncomfortable situation. And I stop and say, wow, what, it happened, what, would, it, what would happen if, you know, one day the fuel will 
run out, we'll finish, you know. What will happen? Our society runs on fuel, literally. Now, there is a research led by the MAHB, which is Millennium Alliance of Humanity and the Biosphere, declares that in 2052, we'll run out of fossil fuel, which means say goodbye to your fuel car, you know? Obviously, probably we'll go full electric, but the point is, you could even have the best car of the world, okay? You can have a supercar, you can have a Ferrari, you can have a Lamborghini, you can have a Bugatti, you can have a Maserati, <clears throat> Italian cars, <laughs> you know? But you know, that's the way it is, come on, come on, that's the way it is. Uh, but the point is, you can have the best car in the world, but unless you fill up the tank, that car is absolutely use useless. It would be just a fancy seater, and the only thing you can do is just park it in your garden and have tea in it, you know? It would be absolutely useless. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because you can have the best gift giftings of the world. You can have the best charisma of the world. You can be, you know, leading people. People just follow you, you know, whatever. But unless your tank is filled up with the Holy Spirit, you're not really going anywhere. And one of the things that, um, um, one of the things that we learn in, in, in David's life is that he really cannot do without the presence of God. One of the uh, most uh, famous episodes um, in the story of David that we all know about is uh, when he takes back the Ark of the Covenant. So if you go to the, um, to the first chapters of, of 2 Samuel, you will see that the first thing, literally, the first thing that David does once he becomes king, he goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, back into the holy city. And we know the story that when the, the Ark of the Covenant comes back, he just, you know, dances before God. He's just there giving it all and is just worshiping and he's so happy. He's so enthusiastic about the Ark being back, about the presence of God being back, about it, it feels like he's, he's having God near, you know, by his side. And, we you know, some people liked it, some people didn't like it, but, didn't like it, but that, that's another story. But the point is, he needs God to be with him. He absolutely needs it. And what we learn from David's life is that um, there is a very strong message that, that comes across, that he's that car that needs to be filled up, up to the top. And uh, the way he's living, the way he prays and sang, and, and, sang, and he's continues seeking for the face of the, of the Lord, himself, all through the prophets, anticipates what Jesus himself said in John 15. And Jesus said, I am divine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a hard word, isn't it? He doesn't say, well, job, you know, you're doing great. That's amazing, whatever. He says, without me, you can do nothing. David knew that he could be a shepherd. He could be a warrior. He could be a king. He could be conquering nations. But without God, with all respect, he was useless. As we sometimes might be, without God, our lives has, has no meaning. 
That's why when we read Psalm 27, if we look at it under this perspective, it makes so much sense to us. When David says, do not hide your face from me. Do not, do not turn your servant in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. My God, my Savior. He knows that if he defeated the bear and the lion, if he defeated Goliath, if he won loads and loads, many battles, that was just because God was with him. And let me tell you this morning, church, that day that you would proudly claim your your independence from God, that will be the worst day of your life. Let me say it again. The day that you would proudly claim your independence from God will be the worst day of your life. Let that never happen. And once again, we see a comparison between King Saul and David, and we see how different they were. At the verge of a war, all that King Saul could do was thinking that it was so much more than enough, and he just goes ahead and sacrifices. I don't need anyone. I'm just going to do it myself. When he was actually told just to wait, he had to do one thing only, wait. David, in his best day, in, in the best day of his life, he would never dare of living one single moment without God. He wouldn't dare. And David says something like this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the, in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's amazing. He is always ready, you know, to give up everything for his God. Now, church, let's be aware of the spirit of self-sufficiency, because that's the same spirit that took Adam and Eve out of the garden. It's the same spirit that got um, King Saul removed from his throne, and it's the same spirit that got the Pharisees blind before the manifestation of the Son of God, Jesus. And this is the same spirit that would make our assignment, our ministry, our calling unfruitful and possibly even dry. David did not, did not earn the, the, the title of man after God's own heart because he could play the harp or because he could sing well or because he was the worship, you know, the, 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 the worship leader. No, David earned that title because he fully belonged to his creator. He fully belonged to God, fully. And one lesson, lesson that we can learn from his life is that belonging is much better than performing. Because if you perform, you try to, if you only concentrate to do the best that you ever can in the task that you've been given, you will end up probably uh, doing it with your own strength. And your own strength sooner or later will finish and you'll crack. But if you're connected to God, if you belong, there is an intimate connection, you are connected to the source of everything. God is the source of everything. God is the source of every creativity. God is the source of all power. God is the source of all love. God is the source of all mercy and hope. How, a question that I always ask myself, how people do in life without God? How would have I done without the hope of God in my life? Belong. It's much better than perform. 
And then there is the, the, the last stage in, uh, in, that we can see in, in this journey, and it's the post-assignment. So we spoke about the pre-assignment, the preparation, and then the assignment, um, you know, it's when you actually uh, deliver it, and then the post-assignment, which is what now? And when, when I refer to the post-assignment, I'm not referring to everyone or that stage in our lives where we've done our bit and we're passing the button on to the next person. But I'm certainly referring to that moment in, in, in our lives uh, where we see that our cup of experience, it's starting to overflow. We've seen so much. We've experienced so much. We've seen God doing miracles. And the cup of our experience overflows. And let me tell you, church, it better overflows to the new generation. And one of the greatest um, theologies in the Bibles is discipleship, isn't it? It's so important. Or we can call it legacy. But what is legacy? Somebody said that legacy is uh, sowing a seed in a garden that you will never get to use. This is what legacy is. And um, talking about legacy, I've got here a piece of history, literally. And I'll tell you in a moment what this is. Um, a few days back, uh, Kim and Pastor Paola were just up in the loft back here uh, sorting out some archives. And as they were going through papers, um, they found this, um, this booklet, uh, which is an accounts book. And this goes back to 1930. In this book are recorded offerings and tithings of people back in 1930. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Okay, I'm just going to say, in the first service, the crowd went, oh. <laughs> this is very quiet. Shall we do it again? So this booklet is an accounts book, and it goes back to 1930. <laughs> much better, much better. <laughs> So, if this is not leaving a legacy, what is? Can I just ask you to look around? Look around. Um, for people at home, you, the only thing, uh, thing you will see is the stage. But, church, can you look around? You know, the stage, the instruments, the lights, the building itself. We are so blessed. And we are so blessed. We've got such a, a fantastic place to meet and worship God. You know why? Because somebody in the 1930s, sown a seed in a garden that we are using today. They did uh, leave a legacy. Are you? Are we leaving a legacy? So at the end of, of David's um, kingdom, something, something incredible happens. And David was, is one of those that never disappoints. <laughs> Well, sometimes he does. Um, but we can learn a lot from David. And uh, one of the, thi the, the, the things that we see is that by the end of, of his kingdom, he finds in, himself in, in a crossroad, and he has to choose between being obedient or following or chasing his greatest dream. What was the, the, the David's greatest dream? Does anybody know it? Come on. Building the temple, yes. David really wanted to build a temple to God, a temple so big and so magnificent, so majestic, worthy of his all-powerful God, which he loved so much. But God said, no. God said, no, you won't do it. You shed too much blood. You can't do it. Your son will do it. And some of us would have gone, all right, I'm out. 
It's not my responsibility anymore. But David doesn't do this. David doesn't do this. We read in the word that David starts investing in the new generation. And what he does is absolutely incredible. Sorry. The Bible says that he starts gathering, um, you know, loads of uh, the, the finest craftsmen in the land, and he starts gathering all sorts of materials needed for the, for the construction of the temple. In fact, the Bible says that he gathers iron that could not be weighed. He, um, he collects cedar logs that could not be counted. They were so many, you literally couldn't, couldn't count them. And the gold and the silver was mind-blowing. So if, without going into much into talents, and how many there were and blah, 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 uh, I'm just going to go on and tell you what their value today would be. So David gathered silver for an amount of 375 million pounds, just the silver, and gold, 450 million pounds in gold. He's not just, yeah, let, yeah, let's do this. He's really going for it. It's throwing all in. Probably everything that he's bringing in is everything that he gathered, you know, in his 40 years of kingdom. We don't know. But what we know for sure that he's really, really investing. And what David says is, my son Solomon is, is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Say with me, extensive. Extensive Extensive preparations. He doesn't just, you know, help out. He really goes for it. And you can see that David has a um, legacy mindsetting. He's really investing into the future generation. He's really uh, pouring into uh, the growth of his own son, which, re- which represents um, his legacy. And remember, another lesson of, that we learn from David is that sometimes we should also understand when an assignment is not given to us, it's given to somebody else, even though that might be our dream. Isn't it? It's hard to do it. Isn't it? It's, it's very hard. Um, but we love David. David is amazing. So if I may invite the worship team, please. As we draw to a close, um, I just want to take you back right from the beginning when I told you that it is not just about us. It is not just about you. And David did understand that. This is why he's pouring so much into somebody else at the end of his, of his um, ministry and at the end of his assignment. He is realizing that there is so much more. And obviously we said that um, it's about the people, right? But it's about Jesus. It's about God the Father. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's about the kingdom and the freedom from death that it brings. The only thing, you just need to find your part in it. That's what it is. But there is an assignment for each and every one of us. Pastor Nick, would you please come up? So, accept the assignment, get ready to be equipped, and when the time comes, build a legacy. God bless you.